And now your host. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cindy's Celebrity Corner. I am your host, Cindy Gross. I want to thank you again for making our show one of the most listened to shows on 620 AM, 1640 AM, 93.5 FM, high digital. And when you download us internationally through the various podcast outlets, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcast, uh, Podbean, Jewish Podcast out of Israel, and, of course, through the TalkLine Networks. We have a huge show, so welcome into my corner. I want to tell you what I've learned from Black Lives Matter. There isn't a lot I support about Black Lives Matter because I believe in all lives matter, and I believe in awarding for merit, not because of a color of a skin, an age, a religion, a sexual preference. I honestly believe in the reward system for doing the best work you can. However, one thing I did learn from Black Lives Matter is that no other movement has grown so fast to join together their group. I didn't see this so fast with the gay uh, rights movement during the AIDS crisis. I would never have seen this in the Jewish movement or anything that's related to Jewish causes. You don't see it in age discrimination as much. And even in the Me Too movement, you've had such inconsistencies. But congratulations to the leaders of Black Lives Matter, because they have been able to join together blacks from all areas, all ages, all different interests, to unite and become one. It's amazing. You're going to learn tonight with one of our guests, their thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement and its impact in entertainment. And I'm going to share with you my thoughts from New York Fashion Week. I personally don't buy clothing or go to a movie or go buy tickets for live theater because of someone's skin color or age or honestly, even during these times, their political preferences. If I like something because it fits me well or because I find it entertaining, I will support it. That was the way I was brought up. That is the way many of us were brought up. And it worked. And it's worked for a very long time. So I started thinking a lot after visiting so many of the shows, and I did go to many shows that were um, hosted by black designers that were excellent. I even went with one of my best friends who happens to be black, and we had really a very fun day of fashion and beauty and accessories. But I came home and I wrote an article and I'm getting a lot of attention on it, not just from the community it was for, but for people in other communities about standing up and having pride in their backgrounds. I wrote about shopping Jewish designers and supporting the new generation. And I featured it on the Times of Israel 
because I am known as a Jewish activist and I am proud of my Jewish roots and that I am able to have a voice that unites Jews from all over the world. So in the article, I wrote that New York Fashion Week came and went and I was fortunate enough to attend several shows. I only went one day because September is always uh, hard with the Jewish holidays and this year was no different. But despite the COVID mandates and despite the crime issues in New York, I went to see four shows. I really enjoyed the shows I went to. I really appreciate the fashion industry because I really love art and creativity and all the work that goes into it. And I appreciate small business owners and large business owners. As a Jew, I appreciate our history of within the international Jewish fashion world and non-Jewish fashion world. For example, it is because of the Jewish Yiddish-speaking workers that survived the Triangle Shirt Factory fire in 1911 that today's modern unions were built for safety, for health, and for political power. Before the Holocaust, European fashion houses were owned and many of the workers were Jewish. In fact, several Holocaust survivors came to America or went to Israel or even stayed in Europe and built very successful houses. Probably the most successful, well-known is Judith Lieber and her uh, bags and accessories are collector's items. We have to talk about Netanya and the diamond industry and the jewelry industry. And let's not forget bathing suits and the world of Gore-Tex and what Gore-Tex out of Israel has done for international swimwear. And that's just to name a few. You talk about Jewish designers, you talk about Ralph Lauren, Donna Karen, Calvin Klein in the shoe industry, Stuart Weitzman. You have um, I. Miller. And I have a personal story with that because my grandfather's original business partner was I. Miller. So I understand totally the idea of how Jewish pride in our past involvement and our present is something that we must join on together. You know, fashion is something that we could all relate to, regardless if we're orthodox or reformed or don't even practice, whether or not we live in Israel, America, Europe, Australia and South America. We all have ideas about what we wear, where we buy them, what fashion media we look towards, and who are our fashion icons. So I think it's really important for us to really be proud of our Jewish past and so many of the new names that are coming out that happen to be Jewish, but we don't know enough about them. Because we don't talk enough about them. We don't promote them enough the way we should be. 
We're looking to support everybody else, but we're forgetting about supporting us. And that's a real shame because there are some great names out there like Jonathan Simkai and Batsheva. And of course, you have so many people in the jewelry business, the accessories business. Now you have the social media business where there are so many Jewish influences. And one thing I do know from my non-Jewish friends and my non-Jewish business owner friends is that they look at modest fashion in a totally different way. Today, maxi dresses and long sleeves and lace down, you know, covering your neck is just as popular as it is for us, for religious reasons, on runways around the world. You see sneer so modest outfits that run the gamut from major department stores that most of us can afford to the couture houses of Paris and London, Milan, Tel Aviv, and of course, New York. So we should learn how to be uh, more proud of our background and its influence in fashion. And I can tell you that I have received phone calls and emails about this article on the Times of Israel, that this is very important to Hispanic designers to join together and for uh, Asian designers to get together and that we should all at the end work together because the only way fashion and its industry is going to survive is with shoppers who like what is being shown, made, and featured. Tell me what you think of my opening. You can reach out to me through my social media and my website. We have a huge show tonight, two icons in their fields. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back after the first break. Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. And joining us is somebody who not only I consider a friend, but I consider the authority of theater. And somebody that you all know every morning from Len Berman and Michael Riedel in on WOR 710 from the New York Post and from his best-selling books, Singular Sensation and Razzle Dazzle. We're here to talk about the Tonys and the theme of the Tonys this year was, is Broadway back? So, Michael, tell us, is Broadway back? Uh, well, we were hoping it was back, but uh, unfortunately, we got the news last night that uh, Aladdin, the big Disney musical, had to shut down because they had an outbreak of COVID among the cast. And um, I don't know what all the protocols are. I mean, I assume everyone was being tested and I assume that they were demanding vaccines. And yet they had an outbreak of COVID in the cast. And for my mind, that tells you that Broadway's really not quite back yet because they're going to shut down Aladdin, which is a you know multi-million dollar property for uh, Disney. They're going to shut it down. And we have not been told yet how long it's going to be shut down. Do people, I mean, if everyone was exposed to people with COVID, do they have to be quarantined for two weeks? The whole cast and crew, they all they can't go to work for two weeks. I mean, we're, we are in uncharted territory. So, and I think this is the great fear of Broadway because if there's a COVID outbreak in Aladdin, there could be a COVID outbreak somewhere else. 
and then you shut things down. And it's tough to sell tickets when you can't tell people, well, they're trying to tell people we're open for business, but now we're shut down. It's, it's a very confusing message that Broadway is putting out there. And uh, I, I do worry that uh, we're not out of the woods yet for Broadway. Well, last week was the Tony Awards. And I mean, the big story, of course, was the uh, wins and the diversity and the promotion of black performers. And I, like you, agree that I want quality and merit. I don't go to a show because of a color of a skin or an age of a person. And you wrote a very, very important article uh, in the Post called The Story of Diversity Behind uh, Night's Biggest Upset. And tell us a little bit about it. Well, there was a feeling uh, on Broadway uh, after Black Lives Matter that um, Broadway was too white. It's only for uh, rich people and white people. And let's be honest, I mean, Jewish people, because without without Jewish people, there's no Broadway. I mean, they created Broadway, right? And they have been the predominant audience for years and years. And Broadway was having what they call a reckoning. I put that word reckoning in quotes. And what kind of rubbed me the wrong way was that I've been around a long time. And I remember Joe Papp, the great uh, leader of the public theater, the creator of the public theater. Joe Papp was doing free Shakespeare in the park that was free for everybody, white, black, Hispanic, free for everybody. Because Joe came up from a very poor Jewish family and he fell in love with Shakespeare. And his mission in life was to make Shakespeare available to anybody, anybody who had no money. And Joe Papp was a promoter of non-traditional casting where you put blacks and whites and Asian people in the same play. He was doing that in the 1970s and 80s when frankly, a lot of critics were saying, you can't put black people in Shakespeare. You can only have white people in Shakespeare. And Joe Papp said, no, you, you don't have to. It's, it's, it's great poetry. It's a great play and a great actor. I don't care what color he is should be in the play. And, you know, I had a good friend named August Wilson, who is one of the great playwrights in the 20th century of America, who wrote about his great cycle of plays about African-American experience in New York. Fences, Seven Guitars, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And August's feeling was, we need playwrights who write about our experience. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, August was actually against non-traditional casting. He was like, we need black playwrights writing about the American experience, which is, is a black experience too. We're all in it together. Immigrants, you know, little Presbyterians like me, we're all in this together. And August thought, I don't need to have a play written by somebody else. And we put black actors in it. I want to write about my experience. And August was one of the monumental figures of the 20th century in American literature. So I was just a little bit annoyed, I have to say, uh, with the Tony Awards when they were lecturing us, saying that the theater is too white and it's too indifferent to the causes of minorities. When I was thinking of my friend August Wilson, his plays were not done on TV. They were not done in the movies. They were done in the theater. They became movies. I mean, fantasy. They did, but they were done in the theater first. The theater embraced August Wilson before anyone. Hollywood never... Hollywood would never have embraced August Wilson. His first play, Ma Rennie's Black Bottom, I remember um, for a book I wrote, I think it was uh, Singular Sensation, 
And I remember the producer at the Eugene O'Neill Festival said, we got this play that was 800 pages long. But we read it and we thought, wow, there's something in here. And that's how August began. And so don't tell me the theater is not diverse, does not embrace diversity. And, and put aside all of that, how about when gay people, when you could not be openly gay in the movies or television, right? Mm-hmm. The theater was there for gay people when gay people were dying of AIDS in the early 80s. That's the right. theater created Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS to help those people to die with some kind of dignity. Hollywood was not there for those people. Hollywood did not know from gay people until Rock Hudson died of AIDS. And that was well into the game. So I was just annoyed. And Asians, look at M. Butterfly and, and way before and Flower Drums. I mean, the history of fighting uh, Asian hate comes from the theater. It's from Rogers been, and Hammerstein. It's all been there. It's all been there in the theater. So I was a little pissed off, frankly, when I was watching the Tonys and they were lecturing us those of us in the theater, that we don't embrace diversity when the theater has been embracing diversity for a long, long time before every other branch of the entertainment business. So I have to agree with you on a lot of that. And I I thought of something else about the Tonys. My favorite moment, and I did not have a lot of them, was when Cheetah Rivera and Andrew Lloyd Webber came on and they were talking about the history of the Winter Garden because I was thinking to myself, how many of the young people that are fighting for all these uh, actions and future of theater really know the history of theater and the great uh, musicals and plays that were before them that really made it possible for them to move forward? And I just was saying to myself, these kids are so wound up in this, these ideas that they really don't even know what quality theater was. I mean, well, it's true. They, they they don't understand the history, but if you want to, if you really get down to the uh, nub of the matter, the history of show business is about outsiders. And it begins with uh, Jewish people because, you know, Jewish people back in the turn of the century, they couldn't get jobs in a law firm. They couldn't get jobs in a bank. So they created their own business, which is called show business. Because they couldn't get work anywhere else. And I always think it's because of the the great immigrants who came here, beginning with Irving Berlin, the Schubert brothers who created Broadway. They were like, we're going to invent our own business because we can't get anywhere else. So I don't know if I can say this on your radio show, but they're like, screw you. We'll build our own world. And they built show business. I mean, that's right. The great Neil Neil Gadler's book, An Empire of Their Own, is about all of the Jewish guys who created Hollywood because they couldn't get into anything else. And they created the entertainment business. And that's why I think people like Joe Papp, who was Jewish. Orthodox Jew from Williamsburg and who really before Hollywood embraced, embraced Meryl Streep and Kevin Kline and Denzel Washington. So. I'm sorry I cut you off, but it's true. I mean, his first uh, language was Yiddish, and he did everything to help Jews and non-Jews. But Joe Papp did everything to help minorities because he was a minority. He understood what it was like to be closed out of so many businesses. And he created the public theater. And Joe Papp was a guy who said, I will do non-traditional casting. I will do black plays. I will do Hispanic plays. I will invite all kinds of people into my world. So so, uh, 
Cindy, don't tell me that the theater is not inclusive. It has been more inclusive than any other branch of the entertainment business. I agree with you. And as a New Yorker and someone who loves live theater and appreciates the history of theater, I couldn't agree with you more, especially as a Jew and knowing how many of the black shows were produced by Jews. They couldn't do it. People, I mean, Rocco, Rocco Landisman, the head of Jujamson Theaters, and Rocco Landisman is a proud Jewish guy. When Rocco first met August Wilson, a black playwright, he went to August and he said, I guarantee you, Jujamson Theaters will produce every single play you write and we will produce it on Broadway. And they make good on that commitment. And because of his bond with August, we were given Fences and Seven Guitars and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and The Piano Lesson, which are great American plays. So I really think there's another story that really made the headlines in the New York Post, but of course it would not make it to the Tonys. And that is, is New York coming back because of safety? I mean, New York Midtown is in the middle of a crisis with safety and crime. Well, yeah, we've been led by this idiot mayor, uh, de Blasio, who has let this city slide into absolute and total chaos. And I know my Broadway friends, they really hate de Blasio because de Blasio... Before COVID, Broadway people had their issues with the traffic patterns in Times Square and all the bike lanes that were being built. And my friends on Broadway would always tell me they would call de Blasio's office. And the the sense was de Blasio said, you people are the 1%. You're all rich. You only have rich people going to your shows. So I don't really give a crap about you whatsoever. So we never paid attention to their problems. Now, this is a this is an industry before COVID that generated two billion dollars year in and year out for New York City. And de Blasio, that frickin idiot, could not be bothered with addressing the concerns. And who knows what's going to be in November with a uh, what it looks like now is a more socialist controller a more progressive uh, city council. And it's probably going to be Eric I Adams. Say, I, I will say this though. Um, Eric Adams, who I've gotten to know, cause I've interviewed him on my show and he is, he's not de Blasio. He understands that crime has to be tamped down on. And also I've invited Eric Adams. And I think he may go with me to the reopening of the Phantom of the Opera because I, as I told his assistant, I said, look, he's got a show Broadway, this big business that he supports it the way de, de Blasio never did. So Eric Adams could possibly, the next mayor of New York, could possibly be my uh, my date for the reopening of the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, that's my favorite. Too bad I can't be. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean <laughs> I was always upset that they never really gave Andrew Lloyd Webber the credit on Broadway. They were just so, I guess, jealous of his status i mean they were jealous of, of success and they gave it to steven sondheim well i love steve too i've known him forever too but um and but look what steven sondheim did for the minority communities who went yeah, i mean think of all the works he's done yeah totally totally um but i will tell you this when broadway was reopening you had the reopening on a tuesday night two weeks ago of the lion king hamilton and wicked and I ran around to see all the opening numbers of each show because they staggered them so the press could be there. And I'll tell you this, 
all of the producers said, we don't want de Blasio anywhere around. We don't want him to be on the stage because he's not helped us one bit. Bravo. (laughs) So that's where people should be thinking, because I have friends who own restaurants in that area that I'm sure you know, and it affects their business also. Completely. I mean, listen, Sardi's, Sardi's has been shut down since March 2020. And I know the owners of Sardi's and they're, they, they said, we can't come back until people go to Broadway. We are a restaurant that survives on Broadway. And if you think about every restaurant, every parking garage, uh, you know, every, everybody just, you know, selling bottles of water on the street for theater goers going there. Broadway has a huge infrastructure of the economy of the city. And, and I'm hoping to impress on Eric Adams the importance of this business that de Blasio just gave his back to. I couldn't agree with you more. So one last question in a positive way. What is the uh, most anticipated show for next year? I know what mine is. Mine's a music man. What do you think? Well, funny you should say that. Uh, I am actually in the process of uh, working on a piece for Vanity Fair about Hugh Jackman and the Music Man and how it comes back. And I was just with Hugh the other day and I asked him about his COVID experience because he happens to live across the street from me. And I would run into him uh, during the height of COVID in March. He would walk his dog with a mask on and I had my mask on. We walk around the block together. And I said, what was your, when did you first know that uh, this thing COVID was happening? And I said, he, he said, Michael, we were rehearsing dance routines for the music man. Cause they were planning to open in the, I guess in the, the spring of 2020, I think. Mm-hmm. And he said, we were rehearsing Sutton Foster was there. Warren and I love her too. Yeah. Warren Carlyle was there and we were rehearsing and doing a little workshop and all this. And he said, and then one morning I woke up and he said, I could not breathe. He said, it was like a brick was on my chest. I could not breathe. And for the very first time in his life, they were supposed to have a rehearsal the next day. He said, I can't make it guys. I'm sick. And Sutton called him. And she said, I'm sick too. And Warren Carlyle, the choreographer, said, I'm sick as well. And they all got COVID. They all got COVID in February as they were doing that. And then they lasted through it and they kept going. And for the year and a half that we've been shut down on Broadway, every single day, and I could see Hugh doing it because I can see his apartment across the hallway, he would keep dancing the routines from the music man because he said i'm not a natural dancer if i don't do it every day i lose it so for a year and a half hugh jackman has been doing his dances from the music band and i can tell you this from talking to him he is ready to go and get broadway back up and running i i have to tell you a really nice story he was one of the first actors my son is a doctor at mount sinai And he was one of the first actors to send food to the doctors and staff there and to make sure. And they just said that whatever they needed, he was going to keep on uh, sending whatever they wanted because he was just so appreciative. So he is just an all, it just comes through. It's not an act with him probably. He's just a real actor and a really nice guy. 
Yeah, I've known him a long time, and I have to say, I mean, he is he is a, a genuine human being who cares and who loves a theater. And uh, I can't think of a better way for Broadway to come back than Hugh Jackman and the Music Man. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You have to come on again. Hopefully, we're going to have some great uh, musicals, great theater. I mean, there is, I don't care what anybody says, Netflix is not live theater, whether no, it's Broadway, it's whether it's Broadway or off Broadway. Yeah. Yep. No, you want to be with, and, now, and the sad thing about COVID was that we couldn't be with people, but I think, I hope we're getting past this because the great joy of the theater is to be with 1,500 people watching Hugh Jackman sing 76 trombones and that joy of 1,500 people rising up and loving what live theater can do. So I told you what I thought was my most anticipated moment. What, is that yours also, or do you have another? No, it's Hugh Jackman. I'm going to be there for the opening night, and I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, we can hear you every morning on uh, Len Berman and Michael Riedel, 710 WOR. I guess it's the number one show in the tri-state area. And it is. read you on the New York Post. And you, for anybody who loves theater, must read Singular Sensation and Razzle Dazzle. Thank you so much for joining Cindy's Celebrity Corner. Thank you, Cindy. Take care. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kevin Sorbo, and I always listen to Cindy Celebrity Corner along with the amazing Cindy Gross. Welcome back. I am your host, Cindy Gross, and I want to share with you my thoughts on something I see trending and that I feel I can make a difference with a positive change. I'm calling it perfectly imperfect because during the past month, a month and a half, I have seen a trend on social media that I think that really speaks out volumes. And that is the fact that people want real life around them. And when I say real life, I'm thinking about how they dress how they look. The biggest trends seem to be gray hair, showing off your weight gain with glamour and with a positive attitude. I'm talking about less cosmetic surgery and showing your wrinkles and your eye bags and maybe your teeth aren't as white. And I'm watching how many people who were photoshopping and changing their looks are actually getting criticized. I also saw another trend. I see a trend in people wanting to live at home and they don't care if the pillows aren't fluffed the right way or if you make a sandwich and the toast is a little burnt. After all, it's real life. I read a blog from somebody and I totally understand it. And they were talking about preparing for the Jewish holidays. And they were tired of seeing all these uh, photos and all these videos of people who hired photographers and rented furniture and were uh, decorating and feeding people like they were eating $300 a meal uh, menus. And they were dressing to the nines and they just couldn't relate. A lot of people with single mothers or struggling through COVID without a job and unemployment. 
a lot of people were still struggling with kids at home and entertaining them and not knowing whether or not they were going to school, how they were going to school, if they even wanted them back in school with the whole mandates for vaccinations and masks. And then, of course, you had the topic of now people have pets at home and more people are adopting pets and adopting to uh pet hair on clothing and on furniture and you know what it doesn't show up when these pictures are photoshopped and i could relate to all of this after all i'm a real person i read this blog and i said i could do something about it and i'm going to do something about it so we're going to be featuring on cindy's celebrity corner and through the website of cindy's corners routinely tips and ideas for perfectly imperfect. And the first I'm going to share are some of the ideas I use for entertaining during my Jewish holiday month. I didn't spend any money decorating this year's sukkah. And for anybody who doesn't know what a sukkah is, it's our like tent But you could use these ideas for any tablescape coming up at Thanksgiving or your holidays coming up or even just entertaining friends. I planned ahead, and that's the key. If you plan ahead as much as you can, little by little, all of a sudden, you are not intimidated, frustrated, angry, and things come out right. Take the time. To go through what you have, because I did, and it helped me come up with my tablescapes. It helped me as I was planning menus. I knew that the holidays for us were early this year, and the weather was going to probably be good. And I planned many meals around barbecues that I could. And it was really a great idea. And many people actually heard my idea and followed along. And it didn't have to be super expensive. Another uh, idea I have is go through some of your friends, your siblings, your parents' house. You'd be surprised what they don't use anymore suddenly becomes the perfect plate or bowl or server on your table. Also, think about things that are in season. Because let me tell you, prices are crazy. I can't believe in one year the how much difference the price was for chicken cutlets this year from last year. Same thing with eggs. Same thing even with simple things like juices and condiments. You know, that 50 cents, that dollar, those three dollars, it all added up, especially if you have a family. But don't be frustrated. There are ways to work around it. You'll find what works for you. We are all perfectly imperfect, and that's what makes us all special. So stay tuned on the blog, and we're going to share all these tips from real people for real people. Hi, this is Donnie Most, and I always enjoy listening to Cindy's Celebrity Corner with Cindy Gross. Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. With me now is a fashion icon. Stephen Dweck is somebody who I have admired for years and you have admired for years. 
And he just celebrated 40 years young in the business. And Neiman Marcus even honored the uh, anniversary. So it is really a honor to bring Stephen Dweck to Cindy Celebrity Corner, talk about his latest collection. Thank you for making me a, a Dweckette. And talking about jewelry business before, during, and what's coming ahead. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Cindy. It's a pleasure. You're so eloquent. You're so, you're such a person. And you know what? We're people. And it's great to see people wearing the jewels and celebrating the jewels. One thing about your jewels, I know, is that they're ageless and they're timeless. Uh, People in their 20s wear it. People in their 80s have been collecting them for years and are buying new pieces adding on. And nothing says it more than the latest collection, the Carventurous collection, which is featuring all kinds of pearls. And everybody who listens and follows me knows I am a pearl. So pearls are my favorite. And you have so many hand-carved stones. And what's great also about your jewelry, because you work in sterling silver, you work with gold, uh, and you work with all these colors, they uh, blend into a daytime wear. But I've also worn your um, collections at black tie events, and so have many celebrities and red carpets. You know, I'm going to put it to you this way. First of all, I call you a gem of the sea, because that's where my pearls come from. And, you know, I, I find them very fascinating because each one naturally represents what the ocean's all about. But when you say the different generations wear it, not only are they wearing it and still collecting into it, but I have like my assistant buyer at Neiman Marcus wearing an earring. And I go, where'd you get that? That was an L magazine full page blow up. 1983 turquoise grat. She goes, my granny gave it to me. It's the coolest thing on the planet. But granny was 32 once and now she's 72 and her 23 year old granddaughter is flaunting a piece that that was the L magazine piece and sold at Bergdorf and Bergdorf and Neiman's, like you mentioned, has carried my jewelry for 40 years consecutively. And it's like, Stephen, that's such a big deal. Well, it's going to be a big deal if that doesn't continue to march on. So to do that, I listened to the lady. I listened to how glorious you describe my jewelry. But wait, there has to be a lot of people out there that believe that from the heart. Jewelry is is a, is a way to, 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 uh, to, to, represent your emotion your point of view yes we all need clothing but boy could we make ourselves look a little different from each other with a great piece of jewel great piece of jewelry well when people ask me fashion tips and i'm not nearly in the business the way you are i always say to people buy the simplistic clothes but make the standout pieces your jewels and i have to tell you I love your rings. Your rings are statement pieces. You wear one of your rings and that's all you need. It just is with a jean, with a simple long black dress. 
high heels or sneakers, those rings are incredible. And what I also love about this collection with the rings is how you really mix in the little uh, gold with the silver, with the uh, many animals in it. It's just your detailing is so precise. That's what really makes a designer, an artist stand out. And you really are an artist. Thank you. You're so kind. You're so sweet. But first, let's go back to the comment of collecting simple clothing. You sound like my wife coming back from Lomans in the old days where she used to go bring home shopping bags of stuff and say, Stephen, look, I bought it all plain enough so I could enjoy your jewelry on it. I go, you don't have to worry. You you know, you're shopping in Lomans. It's okay, But not to dwell in the past. The details are because. I feel that there's miniature works of art in the making and that if there's a person who's going to buy herself one special ring. Now, let me just tell you my thing about rings. The ring finger sometimes belongs to a special moment in your life. Somebody else gave you a ring. You're wearing it on the ring finger, right hand, left hand. Ring fingers belong to either you. I want that middle finger and that pointing finger to be your next new way to wear a ring. How did it happen? I'm at a counter, let's say, for the past all these years, go to a Neiman Marcus, lady sees a ring she loves. She loves, she loves. Oh, wait a minute, it's too big. She tries it on her pointing finger, and then you start to see how good it looks. And I am telling you, I've convinced every person young, medium age, middle age, older age, and they put it on that pointing finger and it looks good. Just be careful with that middle finger. Where you put, when you put it on, don't turn it in the wrong way. You know, it's the most popular thing in Brooklyn. You beep the horn, not even complete that hung. And right away that finger goes up. So that middle finger is glorious to put a ring on it. Just be careful which way you're flaunting that ring. So I happen to be a pointer. So I love the rings on that because they stand. You can't get yourself into trouble when you put a ring on the pointing finger. Well, you know, you keep talking about the old days, but let's be realistic. You have Blake Lively on the red carpet wearing your jewels. You have Beyonce on the red carpet, Drew Barrymore, and you have models strutting runways today and all over social media wearing your designs. I love looking at my Instagram and seeing that my favorite chef, and she's based in Baja, California, and she's on the Food Network, and she's flaunting my rings in between takes of cooking. Like, okay, you can't can't kind of get like cookie dough batter in your ring and expect it to wash off so easily. But in between takes to know who's wearing the jewels, all ages. And you know what? It's when jewelry is ageless, so is the audience. So is the attitude. If you grew up appreciating beautiful things, yes, you change from maybe the, the, the oh, I used to wear earrings, but now I'm wearing a mask. So now I'm wearing more rings. It changes slightly. But when you appreciate beauty, when you want a remnant of the planet, when you want to wear the world on your wrist, when you want to say, you remember that old, uh, let your fingers do the walking. Absolutely. uh, The old phone book. Let your fingers do the talking. Grab that cocktail again and have something sparkly on that finger. 
because that's the, I mean, I like drinking beer out of a bottle. How damn chic is that? You get together with friends again, you're all drinking beer out of the bottle, clanking away, and you all have great rings on. I mean, that's, I want people to have fun in my jewelry. And that's why it's day to night. That's why when you say a piece takes you into the night, pull your hair back and show those curls. And then you see how it turned into an event. Do we go to events every day? No, but damn it, you're not going to mess it up. You get one invitation every six months now. Yes, you're going to speak for yourself. I I still get plenty of invitations. Listen, uh, I am speaking for myself. I don't go to as many, but I'm going to tell you in lockdown, I was wearing my jewelry. My wife would tell me, Stephen, where are you going? I go nowhere. I miss my friends. Your jewels become your little go to friends. You look at it. If you're traveling again, it was always the stuff that got stopped in an airport, not because they're worried what the thing is made out of. Ooh, can I look closer? Can I peek into it? And that's what the celebrities like. Yes, I respect there's brands that do only diamonds while I use diamonds as accents. But the ones that that the the celebrities that want to kind of say something in their downtime, that's when they're wearing Dweck. Well, Like I said, I wear mine. And if I'm wearing the pearls, let's say, and I have the sterling silver class, I wear it in the back and I wear it with my gold. And I get so many compliments with it. You know what else I love about your collections, your collections with the stones? It's not just like a you know, like a a white pearl. You use all kinds of colored pearls. You mix together stones and put together combinations that other people don't think about. You know what, Cindy, I kind of like too much and too much sometimes is never enough. That was the uh, the architect, Morris Lapidus, who did the Fountain Blue, used to say too much is never enough. But you don't want to be like an object of ridicule. So you wear it in your comfort. There's a person and you could be the tallest person in the room and want to wear the most demure piece you have something, you feel comfortable, but you could be the, the most petite and be wearing the earring, the necklace, the ring. As long as you have attitude, as long as you're comfortable, there's something in my collection to make you feel like a little bit more rock and roll. And I have a strand of pearls and I have to show it to you one day. It's lots of chunky silver links in between the pearl work. And I call it rock and roll because the necklace could be like maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars, depending on the thicknesses of the pearl. It comes in three sizes. And I expect you to wear that with a black vinyl jacket from H&M. Why H&M? Because 10 years ago, I bought myself a black vinyl jacket and I kind of like, ooh, what did I do? It's like plastic. Does it look plastic? I'll walk into every boutique around the world, wherever I'm traveling. East St. Laurent, Gucci, anywhere. Wow, what a good jacket. So, you know, it's not to fool people. It's to make your wardrobe more adventurous, to wear $1,000 pearls with a $99 vinyl jacket. Oh, you can my secrets. <laughs> that's, I, I mean, come on. I mean, if but, you want to buy the $1,000 leather jacket too, you know, but you know, it's it's how much fun you want to have. 
but I never say fun where I'm, nobody's laughing. Somebody's just, bring a smile to everyone's face. Bring this world together with one beautiful thing at a time. What's coming up in the future for Stephen Dweck and the collections? More stuff. More. Yes. Than- and I hope you're going to come back and share it with us. You'll let us be a part of the uh, new uh, people that are able to share. We're starting up our e-commerce soon. We really would love to be able to work with you. You, Like I said, you, first of all, I am so honored that you want to be a part of the show. But um, uh, I am just so happy. And you just made me even more excited to learn more about you, learn the pieces, and to share it, like you said, you sh- you've worked with Candace Bergen and you've worked with Blake Lively. Your pieces are timeless. Your personality and your wisdom is so helpful for buyers, for people who want to get in the fashion business. You know, I, I, I always tell the young and I feel so privileged that I found my calling really young. I was like 21 years old when I sold Bergdorf Goodman. And I feel it's my responsibility and my heart to tell everyone out there, do what you love, kill yourself doing what you love, because then it'll, 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 you'll sleep at night. You'll go to your, I don't want to sound crazy and morbid, but you'll go to your grave spending an entire lifetime surrounding yourself and bringing joy to people. People ask, Stephen, I love this stone because it helps my blood and it makes me, and they say, and they this, you believe in the healing properties. Listen, I was a lousy academic student. I put 1000% in what I ended up doing because I said, listen, I got to save myself somehow and I got to put food on the table. So I was so fortunate, but because I loved it, it and, and no matter how rough it is out there now, you think, oh, there's too much stuff out there. I like to tell my kids, just be true to yourself. Invent yourself. Let people know what the, that's what every brilliant item out there. Look, beyond me, you know, that impossible burger, all that stuff. Hopefully it'll save the world. My daughter's vegan. It's her birthday today, my youngest daughter. And she, and she, it's her birthday today. And she's vegan for 12 years now. You know, I, 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 I adore this planet. Is there a bunch of things wrong with it? Yeah, but let's one thing at a time. Let's, let's, let's be good to the animal. Let's conserve water. There's a straw now that dissolves itself in water. Within 30 days, I go, ooh, you hope a fish doesn't choke on it before that. But we're trying. And that's what I want you to do. Wear a piece of jewelry that reminds you it came from the earth. Wear my galactical gemstone that it comes in green amethyst. And I say, if Superman's mom was to wear a piece of Stephen Dweck jewelry, it would be this, this galactical green stone because it looks like a piece of kryptonite. So we're going to close up now and, just, and tell everybody, be good to yourself like you just said. You can buy the pieces, of course, through Neiman Marcus, through specialized retailers across the country. We're going to be. Website, if it I was just going to give you the website. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, I don't mean to plug. No, no, no. W- no, I wanted to do it. I was going to do it for you, but go ahead. 
It's informative. No, nothing. Just Google Stephen Dweck. You'll see that my jewelry is at the Met in the museum in their uh, in their collection in the Smithsonian in Washington next to uh, Dorothy's ruby slippers. The stuff is, is is it's good stuff. It's it's the real deal. It's the real deal. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to be sharing the information on Cindy Celebrity Corner uh, through the website and through our social media. Thank you so much, Stephen Dweck. You're so sweet. Thank you so much, Cindy. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Welcome back to Cindy Celebrity Corner. I am your host, Cindy Gross. And just like that, the hour flew by. I promised you great guest, great conversation, and lots of information to think about. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please let me know what you think. You can reach out to me through my website, Cindy's Corners, and email me through there. Or you can reach me and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Never miss an episode. Download it on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Podbean, Jewish Podcast, And you can also listen to us through the TalkLine Radio Networks. Thank you for joining Cindy Celebrity Corner, where all our angles and points meet and where you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy the Celebrity Corner. Thank you and have a good night.